I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. Hello, we're back with a killer episode. Do people say killer episode? I don't know, but I've just said it. Uh, and we're looking at why or how Katie Holmes left Tom Cruise in Scientology. And we've looked at this kind of stuff quite a lot on the podcast recently. One of the main reasons for that is because it's exploded on YouTube. I don't think I quite realize how interested people are. I understand why they are, because Scientology is so elusive and obscure and opaque and weird and horrible. And it's interesting to see these big A-list celebrities at the heart of it. So it's Aaron Smith-Levin, who's become a, a friend of mine. He's been on the podcast quite a few times before do follow him he's just on youtube but it's at growing up in scientology and he'll be giving us some of the inside knowledge and um, and i'm going to be talking to him soon about his actual backstory in scientology as well that'll be out on the podcast quite soon but this one we're looking at tom cruise and, and katie holmes coming up on the podcast are all sorts of wild and wacky and intriguing and profound topics i've got jim harold coming on in it's just a couple of days to give his thoughts on the paranormal uh, I don't believe in the paranormal. A lot of people do, and we're just talking about why people are so fascinated by it. Then Jason Flom talking about uh, the horrors of wrongful conviction, and Dave Whitehead on something called the Great Reset. So lots of varied and dynamic things. Hope you keep enjoying it. Hope you keep with the podcast going into 2020, whatever it is now. What is it? 2023? It's insane. Um, <laughs> but now... But now, but now, we're going into, I mean, you're on the edge with, that's what I should say, you're on the edge of Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise and Scientology with Aaron Smith Levin. So Aaron, I'm just going to ask you, I know a lot of people might know this already, but what, what is the deal here? How did Katie Holmes leave Tom Cruise and Scientology? The, the actual uh, part where she literally leaves seems to have been the easy part. Um, I'm sure it took months and months and months of planning. I sort of relate it to, ha have you heard, I I'm not going to change subjects, but just as a quick little aside, um, you familiar with the story of when Ron Miscavige Sr. escaped from Scientology's international management base? No. Okay, so I won't get, I won't totally change the subject of the conversation, but you know, he was David Miscavige's father and he worked for decades at Scientology's secretive international management base. Well, he spent months and months and months figuring out the right time and the right way to leave and setting things up. But when it came time to actually leave, all he had to do was drive out the gate and turn left. It wasn't some big dramatic thing, right? And so you hear all you had to do was drive out the gate and, and turn left. That doesn't sound like much of an escape. But when you consider the months of meticulous planning in order to be able to, to just do that, that's why it's characterized as an escape. I think, I think the same thing is true for Katie. You know, she, uh, when it really came down to it, Tom was out of the country filming Oblivion in like Iceland or something. And she basically took Surrey, got on a plane, flew to New York and said, I'm out of here. Like, it doesn't sound like an escape, but you have to understand how much planning um, in secret and, and, and hiding all of that planning from everyone in her life whose job it was to, you know, watch everything she did and listen to everything she said and report on everything back 
to Tom and Dave and, and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I don't know if I dodged your question here or not. <laughs> no, no. And you know what? It leads me to another one. I, I, I guess before we get into how and the practicalities of it, let's paint an imaginary scenario based on your experience. And for anyone who doesn't know, Aaron is, was formerly in Scientology and has a very deep understanding of it and talks about it a lot on his channel growing up in Scientology. Um, let's paint an imaginary scenario where she hadn't prepared well and tried to leave. What yep. happens then? If someone catches her in the act, she there would be an attempt to physically intervene. Now, I'm not talking about whacking her over the head and dragging her against her will back into a house or something. It would all be done from the perspective of um, helping her, um, well, not helping her, getting her to do what the people in her life perceive is what's best for her. So hmm. now if it really came down to it, there would have be some physical interaction, you know, like literally just standing in front of the car, not letting her open the car door, maybe gently placing their hands on her to slightly guide her away from the car while you're trying to have a conversation with her. Like it would be, it wouldn't be violent, but it would be physical. And in order hmm. for Katie to get out of that, she would have to escalate it to a more physical level to make it clear this is not that, like, I mean, business. This isn't mm -hmm. just, you know, like, like Katie would have to be willing to escalate it to the physical or willing to call the police or, you know what I mean? If she were to have taken it to that level, I, I don't think anybody would have, would have like, you know, um, uh, tried to abduct her or, or hold her mm -hmm. against her will. I don't think it would have gotten to that level. Um, but, but yeah, you know, but, I suppose but, what but using physical force to keep someone from leaving a space is literally part of Scientology's auditor training regimen. When Scientology's training its auditors, there are specific drills on how to physically keep someone from leaving a space because you're not allowed to let somebody leave an auditing session until it's reached its conclusion. I'm mentioning that because it's wow. sort of part of the culture to be willing to put your hands on someone in a nonviolent way, but in a way that is intended to control and restrain. That's crazy. Did you learn that stuff? Oh yeah, I was pretty good at it. <laughs> so let's say I was like in a conversation with you out at a bar. I go, I go to visit you out in the US and I'm like, you know what, Aaron? I want to go home. I'm quite tired. What might you do to induce me to stay later into the evening? It's no big special trick. <laughs> it's really just a matter of being willing and comfortable to physically control someone. Most people just have no experience doing that. It's like anything. You practice it for a few dozen hours. It's no big deal to you. And, and, and that's what it, I mean, that's what it comes down to is just, and I'm talking about the drills where people practice this. Um, remember, so you're, let's say you're the one training to be an auditor, right? So you're the one trying mm -hmm. to hone this skill. Your coach is very physically trying to prevent you from getting them to execute your commands. And I'm talking about like in an exaggerated fashion, like to like, like falling on the, like making you drag them from one wall to another wall, actively resisting and fighting you. The idea being that in an auditing session, you should never actually have to deal with this. But if you deal with it now, you won't be surprised by anything that comes up in an auditing session. So right. I'm, I'm talking about training uh, people who are training as auditors practice physically manhandling people I, i'm I, like i'm not exaggerating in any way shape or form <laughs> and, so, and well the other thing is that people forget i think because sometimes people will say look okay they might touch her a bit and push her a bit but she can get out if she wants and all that and i think i guess what people forget is the is the human mind like how people are and i'm, I'm sure that no matter how much she wanted to leave tom at that point it's there's often there's still that sadness there was still that years together there's still that uncertainty that everyone has there's still the fact that tom is her child's father uh, and that she's been part of this whole scientology setup for a few years by this point uh so it's very very difficult once you know so you do i guess that's also why you have to prepare to make it easier to just leave absolutely because i know sometimes you'll hear people refer to the fact that katie had a, a quote-unquote handler um that's not like a real word that exists in scientology there's just no actual word to describe what this person was jessica feshback is the one who gets referred to as katie's handler well jessica ah. feshback was katie's auditor so the the what I'm talking about, the I'll call it a skill, whatever, of physically manhandling and controlling people, 
that's something Jessica Feshbeck had probably had spent dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of hours practicing. So it's not like Jessica would have had any back off or hesitation on preventing Katie from leaving a space mm -hmm. or, or keep, you know, keeping her in a space or moving her to a different space. I can tell you if Katie had been present, I'm sorry, if Jessica had been present while Katie was trying to leave, Jessica would have figured out how to prevent that from happening. Uh, um, without resorting to straight up physical violence, and again, it would have it would have been over to Katie to be willing to escalate it to actual physical violence. Um, and you know, look, I don't really know Katie. You probably don't really know Katie. She doesn't strike me as someone willing to escalate it to that level. And so, but but it also gives you a sense of how much planning would have gone into it prior to the fact to make sure it didn't get to that point. Now, when we talk about leaving Scientology, um, are we talking about a physical place? Because because I don't think she was living in like a Scientology building, was she? Was she? So what are we saying when we're saying it's almost like she has to sort of drive from one place to another? Now it's sort of go, I've left now. But what has she? What has she done? Well, the thing is, every single person in her and Tom's life at that point would have been someone who worked for Scientology. Um, e even if they weren't like literally a Scientology staff member, uh, to, to be in a position of trust in the orbit of Tom Cruise, even if you're not officially a Scientology staff member, but you are a Scientologist, you still work for Scientology. Like you, you, mm -hmm. part of your task is to report on everything uh, specifically to you know the people who work for David Miscavige because David Miscavige has decided the top priority for Scientology is to make sure its most popular person is happy and well-serviced at all times. So mm -hmm. physically, literally speaking, Katie wasn't living on Scientology premises, um, but I would almost, I mean, sort of jokingly, but sort of not jokingly, think of Tom Cruise's house as a Scientology premises. <laughs> yeah. Since everyone who works there is essentially a Scientology staff member. And yeah. And everyone there has a dual role of reporting on the goings-on of the household to someone in Scientology. Which is why, I mean, I was reading before that she uh, got a second apartment, which I think she said was to, she told Tom that it was to escape the paparazzi, uh, but actually it was so that she could get away from all the people who were associated with him. That is such, that, that is such a great story to use. I need an extra apartment to get away from the paparazzi. Yeah, because remember yeah. that time as well. It was just that like you couldn't open a newspaper without her face and Siri's face and, and Siri's face and all these people. You know, it was just constant. And that was like the Britney Spears time as well. The Leave Britney Alone time. The way the paparazzi were with celebrities, even even more than now. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that worked as an excuse. And I guess she had this separate place. I suppose yet another reason why she had to plan in advance all of this stuff that she was doing was be was custody of her child. Because I guess if she gave Scientology, who have you know very lawyered up, if she gave them uh, a head start, they might have got going on it. And, and as it was, it was actually a relatively simple leaving and she got sole custody. Absolutely. I think part of the planning would have been, um, again, it's kind of the exact same, uh, you know, point that you're making here, getting her ducks in a row so that by the time she sent her demand letter, or I think her father was acting on, on her behalf as, as a divorce attorney, by the time they sent over whatever terms or demands, they had enough to back it up, enough ammunition to go public with, if, if need be, uh, yeah. to convince Tom to settle damn near instantly. I think it was 11 days their divorce was settled. I've never heard of anything like that before. I saw um, I saw today that it was described as one of the greatest legal triumphs of the century because people were shocked at how quick and how brilliantly done it was. Considering it involved Tom Cruise and all of his money and Scientology and potentially all of their money, I would agree with that characterization. I mean, 11 days, full custody. Uh, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. And, and uh, it, that means she had dirt. And not just dirt on, on Tom, dirt on David, dirt on David Miscavige, because Tom would do anything to protect David. To a degree, does Tom really care what the tabloids are saying about him? I mean, I've been saying all sorts of salacious things about him for decades, but you start putting David Miscavige in the crosshairs, that's a, that's a whole nother level. 
Wow, that is such a crazy thought. Yeah. And I mean, another thing that crossed my mind when I read about this, like she got sole custody and I think people were surprised and stuff. But then from what I've learned, and you'll be able to give us a, a much greater insight into this, but from talking to Mike Rinder, was that there, there is a sense that your children are, am I right in saying almost not your children? They're just other souls that are in other bodies. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, um, like that's more of an academic uh, an academic position to take, like per, according to what Scientologists believe, that is academically true. Um, I would stop short of saying Scientology parents do not have that natural emotional connections to their kids, but it is mm -hmm. definitely because that's natural, that's genetic. You can't, you can fight it, but it exists. And yet Scientology does whittle away at it and whittle away at it to a point where you suppress any of that natural emotion. Um, it's definitely a hallmark of Scientology is suppressing emotion and, sure. uh, to the point where eventually a Scientologist would rationalize it away that, well, you know, yeah, like Thetans don't give birth to Thetans bodies give birth to bodies and we're not our bodies anyway. So, I mean, just exactly what you said, technically your parents are only the parents of your body, not the parents of you. So, you know, and, and you didn't, yeah. you, so what does it really matter? Uh, it, it really is. It's one of the biggest stories that doesn't get enough coverage that, you know, Tom Cruise has completely disowned his, his only <coughs> biological child. Yeah, I think he hasn't seen her since 2012. As, as far as we know, I mean, they must have different secret ways of seeing one another if, and we wouldn't know about it, would we? I mean, it's possible that we wouldn't know about it. I would just question what is the value to secretly seeing your daughter and letting the world believe that you are not. It seems like it seems like if he was seeing her, he would want mm. the world to know. And and this this brings up a really interesting like scientological point. Tom Cruise is allowed to see his daughter even according to the rules of Scientology, even if Katie Holmes is considered a suppressive person. Huh. Um because the law mean, says that he can see her. And one of the precepts that Scientology follows when it's convenient is always follow the law. <laughs> mm -hmm. now, 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 we know they don't always follow the law, but your average Scientologist would say that Scientologists are supposed to follow the law. And because the law gives you custody, you are allowed. Like Tom Cruise would not get declared for seeing Surrey um, just because Surrey is connected to Katie. And I'm going to take this one step further. I'm going to take this one step further. I've said many times, and any other si former Scientologist will tell you, it is possible to just quietly leave Scientology, never say anything bad about it, never speak to the press, don't publicly associate with other former Scientologists who speak to the press, and to not be declared a suppressive person. Technically speaking, Katie Holmes has not committed any suppressive acts. Leaving Tom Cruise is not a suppressive act. Leaving Scientology is not even a suppressive act. Publicly leaving Scientology is a suppressive act. And Katie Holmes has never said one word about Scientology. Do you see what I'm Wouldn't saying? It be great? Wouldn't it be great if she did? Oh, uh, it would be great, but I'm sure she has um, – I'm sure – I'm sure she has contracts in place that give her lots of reasons to stay quiet about Scientology. Yeah, no, I think so too. I would just, you know, I'd go back to what you said about this natural instinct we, we have as mothers and fathers of children. And I've, it's something since I started doing my podcast the last two and a half years, I've started to doubt that. And I've started to wonder if that's sort of a Western invention or like a <laughs> Disney a Disney version of who we are. Because there are just so, so many um, examples throughout the years in cults, religions, but also just, you know, uh, China's one child, whatever, where they drowned... Uh, girls uh, because they wanted to have a boy and it wasn't just China that's happened around the world. Uh, I, I think of Hasidic Judaism, I think of extreme Islam, I think of uh, the Moonies as well. I was interviewing someone from the Moonies who, who's a defector and just talked about how the parents use the kids um, to get into heaven. Like the kids are their ticket to heaven and they're just seen as these like vehicles to be used to get into heaven. So I just wonder that and I obviously Mike Rinders uh, talk, he talked about losing uh, a child, a very young child at that, at that time I think it was 
and sort of just reasoning in his mind like okay well it was just a thetan or whatever uh and and i do wonder maybe maybe and i also wonder and i'm going off point a little bit here if that puts a lot of pressure on parents nowadays when they have a newborn to feel that instant love because you're told it's natural and maybe it isn't maybe it's learned you know that that's I, I I see your point. I see your point. Mm. I guess I didn't necessarily mean automatic, instant, um, something. I meant more like I'm talking about the point where you you have over time created a particular. I mean, well, I guess I guess there's parents who just never have a good relationship with their kids. I mean, I guess there's parents who hate yeah. their kids from the moment resent resent everything about it. Yeah. Um, I guess here's what I was trying not to. Here's what I was trying to stop short of saying. I don't want to create the impression that Scientologists, because they're Scientologists, don't actually care about their kids, because that's just not mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. And and yet, if if they were put in a situation where they had to disconnect. They may be heartbroken, but they will rationalize it away anyway to minimize, to to to, to make it okay and to minimize it. That's all. I, that's all I really meant. But to, but yeah. I think I think you raise raise valid points there. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. And, and yeah, I wouldn't want to say it's just Scientologists. I, I think that could be all of us. And I think that just shows us that most of us can, like rationalization or, or, or uh, philosophy or ideology trumps love in some cases. And that's quite a sad indictment of the human race. Yeah. Oh, well, what can you do? So <laughs> we don't love our children, don't love our parents, and don't feel bad if you don't love your parents or children. No, but, you know, I'm joking, of course, a bit. But uh, so back on to Katie. So she also, so she got um, her own uh, apartment in, in New York. She fired, she had to fire her driver and several other people who were involved with Cruise as well. And then what, 
what what happened next? Because I think you were saying before she called. He was in Iceland. He was like totally shocked from what I heard, even though things weren't going that well between them. Yeah, for him to be totally shocked to me kind of betrays sort of a. Uh, a, a typical naivete that exists in Scientology that everything is always great all the time and mm. should only be expected to keep being that great. Um, or, or maybe Tom has just such a warped opinion of what normal is that he doesn't realize how close his normal is to devastation. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah we're, we're just getting some of the... I, I don't know if it's quotes we have from Nazanin Bonyadi, the, the the woman who was chosen for him before Katie, but I think uh, there was an article I read where, you know, she was forced to, like, clean bathrooms with a toothbrush because she, she said congratulations to him because he, he got awarded at some sort of big award and said congratulations. Go on. She said, very well done. Okay, well, what's the difference? That's a Scientology phrase that you would only use. It's, it's, it's complimentary, but there's also sort of an implied condescension. I mean, oh like, my God. very well done is like something a parent would, like you're giving approval. Mm. It's, you would say it to a junior or even a colleague. You wouldn't say it to a superior. Very well done. It's like, uh, who are you to tell me it's very well done like that? Okay. I, I don't mean to overplay this hand, but, but I remember specifically uh, when I heard this story, it was like, yeah, that's a weird thing to say to either Tom Cruise or Ch very well done. It's all, like very well done. I, I do, I Why mean, did she say it? <laughs> you know, it's something Scientologists will say to each other. Like, I don't mean it's not an insult. It's almost like, I want to make, I don't know if I'm doing a good job explaining it. It's a very common thing for Scientologists to say to each other. Uh, in an auditing session, you know, an auditor writes up his auditor's notes and submits the folder to the case supervisor whose job it is to determine whether that auditing session was done correctly or not. If mm -hmm. it was done correctly, it's well done. If it was done very correctly, it's very well done. So I'm saying it's a phrase that exists in the technical lexicon of Scientology. It's not a negative phrase. It's just not the kind of thing you would say to someone superior to you. And all I'm saying is Tom Cruise and David Miscavige are so freaking sensitive to any slightest hint of disrespect. I can see them going, very well done. She doesn't understand her place. Because I can God. tell you, no other Scientologist would take offense at being said very well done. Only these two prima donnas would take offense <laughs> at being told very well done. And yet the first time I read this story, as soon as I read it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a little awkward considering it's Tom Cruise. Very well done. <laughs> lunatics. Absolute yeah. lunatic. So, so that's the kind of thing that obviously Katie was having to imagine that kind of thing. Because yeah. that is a type of person as well. You know, I guess a narcissist, a very sensitive narcissist. You get it in, in men and women, of course. And you get it in relationships out of side, outside of Scientology. You get those kinds of people, you know, what, what did you say to me? What did you just say? And then the person, no, I didn't mean it that way. And then it's like a whole thing and they're using their power and they're playing like they're the one who are, um, who, who are the, the victims in this. Um, and I wonder just how much of that Katie would have had to put up with over the years. Oh. What, did she become a Scientologist? She did. But Andrew, realize not only how much did she have to put up with that from Tom Cruise, but David Miscavige was a regular presence with the two of them. Andrew, when I was in the Sea Org in Los Angeles and David Miscavige, God forbid, would come through and do a walkthrough, there would be a trail of destruction in his wake for things as minor as who didn't stand up immediately when he walked into the room. Oh. I'm not shitting you. I'm not shitting you. The ethics officers would be running around behind him pulling people out who had not stood up fast enough and pulling them into metered ethics interviews to find out what their crimes are and here's where it gets really bad we're talking about older infirm people who couldn't have easily stood up without effort like hmm. he would go down into the basement offices where they hide they hide the people who are unhealthy and have them do work in offices so they're not like publicly interacting with the with people 
right? And so he would go down into the basement and walk through these offices where you have maybe a 65-year-old woman who's 60 pounds overweight and has braces on her knees. I'm thinking of a very specific person because this is a very real example. And he walks in and she turns around and she's like, hello, sir. So good to see you and everything. She's perfectly respectful, but she didn't stand up. And so she got removed from post and assigned to manual labor while she figured out while while the ethics officers worked to figure out what her crimes were. So we've spoken a lot about um, how Tom Cruise has over the years become more and more and more like David Miscavige. These two these are two two little peas in a very little pod. And mm. uh, and so seriously, it cannot be overstated what a freaking hellhole. Uh, uh, Katie's experience would have been dealing with both of these maniacs. The whole thing is just so crazy. What a crazy man! And then it, it makes me wonder. I just, I just say quickly, then you can answer to this as well, uh, because the two. I, okay, Nazanin Boniardi was not a well-known actress at the time. Uh, still isn't that well-known, but she's been in quite a few things now. Katie Holmes and I think of Penelope Cruz, Nicole Kidman. These were like big stars. Would they have been expected to like clean the bathroom with a toothbrush? I'm going to stop short of that one. I'm going to stop short of that one. Um, You don't see public Scientologists forced to do that kind of stuff. uh, As um, uh, I I don't know that I could think of an example of a public Scientologist having to do that kind of a penalty. That's reserved for staff members and Sea Org members. Mm. Mm. Leah Leah Remini was was sort of told off, wasn't she, when she asked things about um, about about where Shelley Miscavige was? You know, she was sort of put in her place, and she was a public Scientologist. Absolutely. Absolutely. But she um, left as a result of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and she was, you know, she, she was treated horribly for several months down here in Clearwater, but I don't think she scrubbed any bathrooms. If she did, I don't remember reading about that. Um, mm. But uh, it's, it, I find it kind of interesting that they eventually did uh, select Katie for, you know, the, the Marrying Tom project instead of another Scientologist. I, I truly believe if they had selected a Scientologist um, who didn't have resources outside of the Scientology network, like Katie did, for example, just in her dad as a, as a you know, pretty powerful divorce attorney, uh, they would have had much more control over that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone from the inside. That was the idea, wasn't it? And that's why Nazanin Boniardi was selected. And I, I suppose there was no one else quite right. I don't know. I, I imagine Leah was never asked. Um, and it had to be somebody particularly beautiful and particularly fantastic and wonderful. And by all accounts, Nazanin was. But I don't. Maybe they couldn't find another person befitting of Mr. Cruz um, in in Scientology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they were doing two things at the same time. They were, they were basically doing this audition process that was an all-encompassing thing that included non-Scientologists and actresses as well. And at mm. the same time, they were trying to find uh, you know, the hottest Scientology girl or whatever, actress or model, that they could include in the process. Mm. Do you know it's what I mean? The whole, yeah. Oh, the whole thing's just the whole thing's totally mad. I just think some, some extra some extra info I got just from looking it all up before. By the way, just for people interested, that uh, Katie's dad is Martin Joseph Holmes Senior, the attorney, uh, divorce attorney who helped her get that divorce in the record ten or eleven days, um, and he was somebody who played basket basketball and uh, practices matrimonial law. Um, and also, I you know I was reading that she created an inner circle of people she trusted that excluded Cruz. She used a burner phone to speak with her New York-based lawyers without Cruz getting a head start. Meanwhile, she was using a Scientology trick against him, love-bombing him. So she was just telling him lots of nice things, love you, love you, love you, to Tom Cruise, uh, and so that he wouldn't catch on. But meanwhile, she was in her second apartment, called him in Iceland, as we were saying before. He was about to do a stunt and had to get off his motorcycle to take the call. And he admitted to a German network that he hadn't expected it at all. He said, life is a tragic comedy. You need to have a sense of humor. I had an unbelievable amount of time to think about it. So, and even that call she made uh, from a burner device that her friend had given her, she had to get rid of it all. I mean, it's just mad, the levels, isn't it? That she had to go to, to not for him to not realize. And- Absolutely. When Katie Holmes made her great escape from the Tom Cruise marriage in 2012, uh, the fact that she was able to put all of the pieces required in motion 
and execute this thing all while having her life completely infiltrated with Scientology spies um, shows not, not only what an incredible job she did and with the guidance certainly of her father, but how important she felt this was, right? Like you have, you have the cause and the effect and you can see the amazing work that she did to orchestrate the escape. But in order for her to have the desire and the commitment and the dedication and the drive to make that happen and make it happen as smoothlessly and, and seamlessly as it occurred, it's sort of a reflection of how horrible things were for her in her life and how horrible she saw that they could get not only for her, but for Surrey. And, you know, I think when I said earlier that Katie probably had a whole laundry list of dirt, not only on Tom, but even more so on David Miscavige. This is sort of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like where our bodies hidden. I'm talking about the things about David Miscavige and his involvement in Tom's life that would make life so unbearable and, and suppressive and restrictive that it would almost force Katie to completely escape from Tom, from Scientology, and to save Surrey. That's really more what I mean. It's pretty remarkable to even consider. Well, I think one of the things that, in fact, if we want to just have one thing we didn't touch on last time, I think, is that Nicole Kidman, Tom's previous wife, famously lost contact with her kids for several years. So that must have been playing on Katie's mind. 100% I agree with that because, you know, Connor and Isabella, who are Tom's adopted children, they had a decent relationship with Katie. I mean, Katie was with Tom for six years, right? It was, it was about six years. Um, and it, she would have seen firsthand how Connor and Isabella talk about Nicole, treat Nicole, uh, how little consideration and regard they have for her and, or time they spend with her. And she would see this is the this is what it looks like. this is what being married to tom cruise and having kids with tom cruise looks like this is where it ends up and um uh yeah he, uh, totally aside from people spying on katie and not having you know people she can confide in just just seeing the the destruction that scientology had on the relationship between nicole and connor and isabella that alone probably would have been enough grounds for Katie to start making planning a great escape. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and th this is, this is the thing. I mean, it, we, I, I said last time again, that, that it's been called one of the greatest legal triumphs of the century. This was Katie's father. Who's a, you know, matrimonial lawyer practices, a matrimonial law, and he's supposed to be a top, top lawyer. She had to get lawyers in de different States. One thing that we didn't mention as well is that she, um, they pushed to get the law, the, the, the case tried or whatever in, uh, New York, because in California, judges tend to give apparently uh, uh, joint custody of children, whereas in New York, apparently it's more common to give sole custody. And she really wanted it. Now, you have to wonder why she, you know, obviously every every group of parents are different. Every, you know, uh, my parents got divorced, but they're very friendly. I'm very fortunate in that sense. And they can all hang out together uh, to want sole custody. There must have been a lot of weird stuff going on. And, and like I was saying before, I just wish we could really hear it from her what you know the truth of everything yeah and it would be my best guess that the reason she insisted on having sole custody is because of what she saw happen with connor and isabella and nicole and and knowing that if there was any scientology influence whatsoever if tom was able to influence surrey with scientology it would be specifically to the effect of destroying the relationship between surrey and katie yeah no, absolutely. And then they got well, so they got it done in ten days. Got there, got got sole custody of Suri, and then he hasn't seen her for ten, twelve, ten years. So yeah, since twenty twelve, right? And yeah. you know, back well, back to the shared custody thing. And I'm no expert. I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. But like, if you have joint custody, then you're talking about also joint relationships between schooling, uh, joint decisions with schooling and, and things like that. And I think with, with, with Katie having sole custody, she's able, uh, like, let's say Tom, like Tom has 10 days of visitation per month per the agreement. He doesn't use them, but just because he has visitation, he would not have any say whatsoever in her schooling 
or uh, put, you know, he would not be allowed to put her into a Scientology course or a Scientology auditing just because he's exercising visitation. I think that was probably one of the reasons for wanting sole custody was so that Tom yeah. couldn't exert any influence in having Surrey do Scientology. Just trying to think, did Tom Cruise move on to someone else after Katie Holmes? Is, I've, I haven't, has he been with anyone else? So not publicly, meaning he has not publicly affiliated, associated himself with any particular women. I, I do tend to believe the tabloids when, when you read something about him going on a date with this co-star or that co-star. I tend to believe those reports because hmm. I don't think Tom would just casually be seen out on the town with a female co-star unless it were a date. That's just my personal feeling on the matter. Sure. sure. Um, but then Tom would have to stop short of call, officially calling it something because when the woman finally runs for the hills, you would have to mm -hmm. chalk up another one in, in the L column. <laughs> Man, again, so wouldn't you just love to be a fly on the wall when they're having these conversations? Because obviously there was a, there was a period in the mid-2000s where Tom Cruise's sister became his uh, publicist uh, and started sort of letting him loose a little bit. And he had those famous interviews with Peter Overton uh, and and uh, what was it? Low Lowry? Matt Lowry? Matt Lowry. Matt Lowry. Uh, uh, Lower. Lower, sorry, who, who was disgraced himself, I believe, later um, for other things. Um and, you know, the search for Tom Cruise's girlfriend, which is just the most embarrassing thing, this thing where he was telling Mike Rinder, oh, why can't I get a girlfriend? And they had to all go and find him a girlfriend. Nazanin Boniardi was the first one, and then it was Katie Holmes. And now it's got to be a bit like, look, Tom, you're just embarrassing us. So <laughs> you're on your own, mate. Like, go, if you can't find it, if you're Tom Cruise, one of the richest, most famous, quite handsome, you know, everything in the world, you can't find a girlfriend, then, you know, it's time to look inwards, Tom, no? <laughs> I mean, he's no Andrew Gold, but he's got some ah. things going for him. Uh, come now. Come now. He's no Aaron Smith-Levin, but he's pretty cool, that Tom Cruise guy. So here's the thing. You know, I feel like if, if it weren't for David Miscavige, Tom Cruise could pro would probably have no problem finding a girlfriend. But it's like, mm. how, how long do you have to be going out with a non-Scientologist before you're like, hey, let me introduce you to my buddy, the head of the Scientology cult, David Miscavige. Like, it's so much baggage associated with all of that. David will be accompanying us to bed. Uh, he will be coming with us everywhere. He will just be sitting in the corner and ensuring that nobody accidentally says well done at any point. Because apparently that is the thing that gets Tom Cruise. You know, if you say well done to Tom Cruise, you're going to be on your knees with a toothbrush scrubbing the corners of the bathroom within five minutes. No, Tom Cruise is like, nobody says very well done to me except David. <laughs> And, you know, like there, there was that period, of course, in the mid 2000s, Tom, Tom was doing these weird interviews and there was that guy who squirted him with water in the face. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> so that, look, that's a bad thing to do to anyone because it could be acid. It could be any, whatever it could be. It's not a nice thing to do. Um, however, why didn't people just say well done to him? If people knew they could have said, Tom loved the film Mission Impossible 58. Well done. Very well done. They would have, that would have killed him. Very well done. He said, nobody squirts me in the face other than Dave. <laughs> um, let, let me take this question. Do you think there's anything to the rumor that Tom is sterile and Surrey is not his? So I, I have to take responsibility for this rumor. So here's the thing. Mm. I've never said that Surrey isn't his. What I've said, now there's these things. Okay, so when I have chats with Mark Headley, Mark Headley knows things that were common knowledge, which means they were not, uh, like if Mark Headley tells a story, Mark Headley was never anybody's auditor. He was never their case supervisor. He was never their ethics officer. If Mark Headley has information about something, it's something that was commonly known because it was gossiped about and people spoke about it. In other words, it's not protected confidential priest penitent information. Mark Headley and other people from the int base have simply told me casually in conversation that it was sort of common knowledge that Tom couldn't have kids. Now, that's not to say he didn't have Surrey. People, people can have st st uh, sterility or, or fertility problems and they're not permanent or they're not always there or whatever. I'm not, I never meant to actually say Surrey wasn't his. I meant to say, I'm surprised no one has. There's so many stories that exist in the Scientology world that get a lot of airtime. That one had never gotten any airtime. And the truth is, I only put that video out 
because my videos, I, I, I got the impression my channel might have been shadow banned. And I'm like, okay, let me do this video about Tom Cruise and see if my, my channel's really shadow banned. Well, it turns out mm. my channel wasn't shadow banned. And I took a lot of shit behind the scenes for making that stupid video. So um, do I think there's any truth to the rumor that Tom is sterile? Yes. Uh, there might be some truth to it. Does that mean that Surrey is not his? No, it doesn't mean that. But I do want to make this comment. Some people have said to me, how dare you put something like that on the internet? What if Surrey saw that? It would destroy her. I go, wait, 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 wait. It would destroy Surrey more if she heard a theory that maybe Tom wasn't actually her biological father. Destroy her more than the fact that the person that she thinks is her biological father has completely disowned her and discarded mm -hmm. her like trash. One of these things is worse than the other, and I don't think it's the one where Tom isn't the biological father. Anyway, I, I can't say this enough. I'm not saying it's true. It's just a, you know something that's out there. I don't want to. Yeah. So I think, you know, what's a funny thought because, and I only realized this recently that the two of us, and I don't mean this in a bragging way. It's just, it just is a fact. When you type Tom Cruise into YouTube, we're very high up the videos that we've done. <laughs> so it's more than possible that, I mean, most actors and celebrities and things do research their own names. So what a thought this is. I don't know if you've given this much thought, but not just him, but Katie Ansari might be tuned in right now, just watching us. And I would just also say, if anything pisses off Suri, it's probably the fact that whenever anyone says her name, people's iPhones start buzzing and, and replying because it's, you know... <laughs> That's got to drive her crazy. Imagine that, oh going your whole life with a name that, you know, what's, it's like being called Alexa, I suppose. I wonder if there's any Alexas in the chat today. Don't, you can't, oh, I've got my earphones in, so, okay, no, no, our devices will hear you speaking. <laughs> yeah, that is really funny. I never thought of that. They could be watching That's, us. I'd um, be surprised well, if they hadn't. I would be surprised as well. Um, I got in trouble for something I said about the Danny Masterson trial because someone who I never in a million years dreamed yeah. was watching these videos is watching these videos. So yeah. I do have to be a little careful. Um, okay, so let's see. Jay Dice, I would love to ask Katie if Tom was allowing Scientology to begin efforts to indoctrinate Surrey. I know she was at that age, uh, but have you heard of specific efforts that were made? Oh, this is a great question. This is a great question. I haven't heard this discussed very much. In fact, I've only heard this discussed in the context of Surrey was getting to the age where you get officially indoctrinated into Scientology. There's no such age. There's no such age. A lot of uh, your level of indoctrination or introduction obviously has to do with whether you can freaking read and write. I mean, if you can't read, how much Scientology can you be exposed to? So I think what's really being referred to there is she was getting to the age where she was probably able to understand enough and read enough to start doing the most entry-level courses, uh, like children's courses. However, mm -hmm. there's other ways to indoctrinate children into Scientology, and it has to do with things. They call them various assists. Assists is Scientology's – it's almost like hands-on faith healing, like – it's funny. You don't, okay. hear, you don't hear a lot of details about this discussed, right? right? Um, so there's something called a touch assist so, or a locational assist. Let's stick with locational for a moment. Let's say you've got a headache or you're just sad or you're sad and you have a headache. I'd be yeah. like, Andrew. Who told you? <laughs> I'd say, okay, let's go, let's go for a walk. And we would just right. walk around. I'd be like, okay, look at that tree. Thank you. Look at that bird. Thank you. Look at that tree. And, uh, and we might do this for 30 minutes until you tell me that you actually feel better. Um, that's a very small thing, nothing crazy going on there, but that is Scientology. And if you're doing that on a child, like if, if, if Surrey was being raised in a family, almost everything that went wrong with Surrey would have been handled with an assist. Okay, another example is a contact assist. Let's say you fall down and you whack your knee and it hurts and you're crying. Okay, Tom would come over, uh, just like he would if he saw someone in a car accident, because only a Scientologist can help. And he would go, okay, show me where it happened. Okay, show me how it happened. And you'd have go, like go through the exact motions and steps of how it happened and touch your knee back to where you hit it light, lightly. And you would do it over and over and over again until you said it no longer hurt and you felt happy. So that's a contact assist. A touch assist would be, let's say, uh, I don't know, you, you had a slight cold or something. So you would sit in a chair, and this is, um, uh, Mark Headley made a joke about this, about feel my finger the other day. And literally, let's say you're sitting in a chair, and I'm going, okay, we're going to do a touch assist, start of assist, and I would say, feel my finger, and then I would touch you like here. And you go, okay, I feel it. I go, thank you. Feel my finger, 
and then feel my finger and feel my finger up and down the body, both sides. And honestly, you just do this until the person says they feel better. Now, eventually, once you've been subjected to enough of these, you just realize this is never going to stop until you say you feel better. So you just say you feel better at yeah. right about the time that you're probably falling asleep. You're like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. But like this would be the lowest levels of Scientology indoctrination. I was just going to say, I, I've spoke to someone today uh, who I've got come on the podcast soon, who was, a, you know, in, grew up evangelical and and in Pentecostalism. Uh, I think I've said that wrong, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and she, she, and that actually proves my point that literacy, illiteracy, was part of the reason she believes Christianity grew to such an extent, and some of the teachings of the Bible grew to such an extent because people couldn't actually read it. And she sort of she reels off a bunch of things that people think are true about what the Bible says, and the Bible says a different thing, but no one's read it. Uh, so I guess with those sort of mind tricks that you're talking about, I guess she could have gotten into it, Suri or any child, uh, before before being able to read. One hundred percent. Mm. And even introducing ideas about like um, the Thetan or affinity reality communication, just basic Scientology concepts. So it's not necessarily that, that you know, Surrey was about to hit this key pivotal age. There, there's no like, <laughs> I mean, there's no Scientology equivalent of a bar mitzvah where, you, uh, uh, you know, mm. where you officially... <laughs> but I mean, well, well uh, it's a bad analogy because that's not you're officially becoming a man at a bar mitzvah. There, there's yeah. uh, or do you like there's nothing in there's no you're ceremony. A man. But, Little so, did they know it took me another few years. <laughs> <laughs> so is there I'm curious now because I know in, in either Catholicism, there's um, there's a confirmation. There's what is there's something where you're officially a Catholic. I'm going I'm bastardizing this all to death because I don't know any mm -hmm. of this stuff. Is there an equivalent in Judaism where now you're officially a. Uh, a full member of the the Jewish community. Mm. My understanding is that you are you are born that way, providing your mother is Jewish. It's passed down through the mother. Uh, the, and as you say correctly, a bar mitzvah is becoming a man, a Jewish man. I don't know. You can also have one, and I'm not sure of the age, so someone's going to correct me. But you have one when you're 13. For girls, it's when they're 12. Or that that's sort of a more modern thing. A lot of girls didn't get that done, and now that you know, to, for equality of of the of the genders. Uh, but you can have one when you're like, I think it's 81. You have another one. So I don't know oh, if that's really? becoming a, like a boy again or something like becoming closer to the end of being a man. I'm not sure what that celebrates, but you can have a second bar mitzvah. You know, Scientology would be a lot more fun if there was some sort of official ceremony to become a real Scientologist. Uh, oh, yeah. In fact, Presents should, and stuff. <laughs> they should come up with something. I mean, they're infatuated with be, looking as religious as possible. They should really come up with something like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so Suri, what was she Six, six years old is still incredibly young to start doing even child's Scientology stuff. And at mm -hmm. that level, it's so kind of innocuous, like some communication drills. And it's like you can only do so much with little children. So I really think that Katie's what would have motivated it isn't like, oh, my God, she's about to embark on some child auditing program. I think it was look at Connor and Isabella. Look how their relationship has been utterly destroyed by Scientology with their mother. Look how they actually seem to hate her. Look at how they think she's condemnable. They think she's suppressive. I don't want to live in a world where my daughter even has a possibility of thinking that of me. You know? No, absolutely. And I don't know much about Katie's family and upbringing, but my understanding is that uh, it's a close family. I don't know if it's a big family, but I think she's very close with her parents. And mm -hmm. I think she could just see the complete depersonalization and dehumanization that, that occurred within the Tom Cruise family, um, that nothing was more important than Scientology. And so you have her experiencing this horrible quality of life, having her husband's best friend be the leader of a freaking cult and everyone's spying her on all the time. And then you add on top of that, uh, you know, looking five years down the line and, you know, seeing what could happen with Surrey. I mean, either one yeah. of those things would have sparked an exit from Scientology. Let me see. There's something here. Is Scientology for or against childhood vaccines? If they are in Scientology private school, do they mandate vaccines? This is a funny one. L. Ron Hubbard and his propaganda tended to definitely be anti-medicine, but more because he thought Dianetics was the latest and the greatest and, um, and, and had the ability to fix everything. Like Scientologists definitely 
are more reluctant to seek out medical interventions as a primary, as a primary intervention, but it's not against the rules to seek medical intervention. And I guess I'm giving a long-winded answer to explain Hubbard never said, don't get vaccines, but because of the, because of the anti-medical establishment culture that exists within Scientology, there is also a very high incidence of anti-vaxxerism in Scientology, even though Hubbard said almost nothing on the subject. So you'll find Scientologists very split on this. And in fact, this is where it gets really crazy. Most public Scientologists are completely against uh, the current vaccine. We all know what I'm talking about. Whereas David Miscavige mandated that all Sea Org members get the vaccine or they were put into forced isolation until they relented and agreed to get the vaccine. Not only that, they were ordered to lie to the public Scientologists about it and say that they had not received the vaccine. So Miscavige is on like a completely different page on at least this current thing that we're talking about. The, you know, because uh, 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 this current vaccine is also tends to be somewhat of a different conversation than vaccines in general. Like mm -hmm. I know people who are against vaccines in general who are actually in favor of the current vaccine. It's really a mixed bag in Scientology. And I guess that's kind of where I'm going with this is you do get a mixed bag because Hubbard didn't have hard and fast rules on this subject. And I can tell you that in private Scientology private schools, there's no mandates for anything. There's no pre-requirements. I mean, you could have no shots at all and, and you're fine. Um, mm. Isn't it fascinating when religions and cults and things have to sort of adapt to the modern world and then there's no, there's nothing said about it. So, you know, the, again, I think of any old religion that nowadays has to deal with things like electricity. Is that allowed? Is that considered work on a Friday or a Saturday when you're not supposed to be doing it and things like that? And weird how they have to keep up with it. So I suppose vaccines is just another one. Yeah. I got to tell you, for a group that's considered to be very heavily anti-vax, uh, Scientology right now in the C organization is just... Um, just exhibiting crazy behavior. I mean, Andrew, we're here. I'm in Clearwater, Florida. I mean, Florida has been wide open, wide, wide open for over two years now. The Sea Org mm. members still walk around with masks and their plastic lunch lady gloves. Yeah, I saw that. I saw you tweet about it. And I said to someone else, and I can't remember who that was now, but I said, oh yeah, Aaron. Oh, it was Tony Ortega. And I said like, Aaron, because I said, can you recognize the Scientologists in the courtroom for the Danny Masterson case? <laughs> Uh, and he was just like, uh, well, you know, t Tony doesn't give much away. You know, he's very, very quite straight. And he was just like, well, sometimes, sometimes no, you know, just like that. But I was thinking of your tweet of all these guys wearing gloves and, and things. That so. would actually be a reason why a Scientologist would be not very inclined to attend the trial unless it's a Scientologist who isn't currently on course or getting auditing. Like if you're just a Scientologist and, and you're not currently getting course or getting audit, uh, uh, doing a course of getting auditing, you don't have to do this stuff. You don't have to do the masks and the gloves. But if mm. you are actively on course, especially here in Clearwater, you have to wear those things whenever you leave the base, whenever you leave the base. Uh, oh. so, 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 so you might get a Scientologist in the courtroom, but you wouldn't know because they probably would send someone who's not on course uh, so that they wouldn't have to go wearing the gloves so that you wouldn't know it was them. Right, right. Do, hey, do we do we know when that case is going to be finished? Is it? It's after Thanksgiving. They said it must be back on today. Court is back in session and check it out. Oof. Two jurors came down with COVID, so they swapped them out with two alternates, mm. which means jury deliberations are essentially starting over effective today. They no longer consider that they're in day three of deliberations. They consider that today is day one. Okay, okay. So we'll know more in a few days, perhaps. I mean, yeah, I don't even think we'll know by the end of today if they're still quote unquote deadlocked, because how would they even know? It's the first day of deliberations, technically speaking. Um, mm. I think that's good. I think that's good for the plaintiffs. But I'm going to be doing a live stream later today uh, with my uh, good lawyer friend, Zach. So mm. and that should probably be around 430, hopefully. So that's in about 90 minutes. So if you're watching this now, tune back in in about 90 minutes to um hear about what happened today in the in the master's Mate, you are a behemoth you do not <laughs> stop people give him some love throw him some whatever give him all the likes and stuff because man this guy works so hard he is an inspiration to to all of us i mean i'm an inspiration to him because i work even harder but he really is a hard-working guy <laughs>
um so yeah i mean i think we've covered everything we wanted to cover was there any anything else you wanted to ask me specifically i was i was just going to say honestly i really mean this about that point i was saying i believe and i was looking up suri cruz just now um while you were talking i was listening to you as well but i was just looking up she's 16 now um and i know my sister's 15 and i know what 15 year old and 16 year old girls do right they are on youtube that's it so surely she types her own name and surely she's watching this right now either live or as a repeat and if she is i i would like to say to her firstly i do apologize you know if, if any of this is hurtful or anything like that and send send me an error in an email and if you do and if you you know we're journalists and all that so if, if you say like this is off the record we won't repeat any of it I, you know i'd be intrigued to hear from you anyway uh, you're always welcome to email us anything we anything you say honestly because she she must be watching this yeah i don't know you know i got a 16 year old a 14 year old and a 12 year old and they don't watch youtube i found out <gasps> i was i was shocked what i was do like they do it's all snap it's all snapchat yeah. and TikTok. studying the bible it's all Snapchat and t- and TikTok mostly. Yeah, we um, need to get on Snapchat and TikTok if we want Suri to email us. Not that I know why I would even want that or where that would go, but it would just be <laughs> intriguing, wouldn't it, to wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, Suri's just sent me and Erin an email. Whether it be angry or thankful or wanting to set the record straight, I would just be fascinated to get that email. True. Okay. Very true. So, real quick on this one, are Connor and Isabella's biological parents Sea Org members? Do you reckon? I. For me, that could go either way. Um, mm. I don't know. I feel like Tom and Nicole at that time would probably be more inclined to want to go through the most legitimate medical system possible. You, like just using a Sea Org member is a pretty amateur way-ish of deciding, you know, who the donors are going to be. Like, who cares that they're a Sea Org member? A Scientologist might care, but that seems pretty amateur hour to me. I, I, I would lean more in the direction of completely use the most expensive professional medical service out there and not just going, Hey, do you know any good Sea Org members? So that's going to be my guess on that one. Um, and hold on. I saw just, um, one more. Oh, yep. 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 Fabian, Andrew, this is the power of the baldness. Um, okay. <laughs> what does that okay. even mean? Is I he bald know. as well? Uh, yeah. I would just say, it. I saw- I did say someone, someone in a comment said, don't ask a 16-year-old girl to, to send you an email. I, such is my innocence that that hadn't even crossed my mind. But good point. Can Katie please get in touch then and tell us how angry or delighted she is about our coverage? There you go. There you go. Thank you, Andrew and Aaron. You, are, you both are ahead of Tom. You both are taller. Well, Andrew's probably a whole – did you say 6'4"? Yeah. Did you see my lawyer friend Zach is six seven, three hundred pounds? I get I get so funny when I see people taller than me. I I'm like, what else going on here? I don't like this. It's unusual <laughs> as tall person. But I mean, three hundred pounds is that a lot? I don't know what that is. I don't know what. Oh, what do you use? Pounds. What do you use? Stone or kilos? Oh, both. Well, kilos recently. So I and I'm I'm ninety kilos, and he's okay. So he's one hundred and thirty six. So he's like one and a half of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I'm like two twenty five wow. right now, but I'm a little. I'm about twenty pounds heavier than I than I should be right now. Two twenty five so, kilos. No, two twenty five. But I wouldn't two twenty five. You'd you'd be uh, you'd be like officially obese, right? So you're a hundred. Yeah, I was a hundred a couple of months ago, and then I found out about us this multi level marketing platform. No, I didn't really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, played football. So wait, so what? What are you at kilos right now? Kilos? No, that's what I meant. Kilos, I am 90. Oh, so you're taller than me and lighter than me. I'm 198 pounds. Yeah, but I went on a big diet the last... I mean, I was joking about the MLM, but I went on a big diet the last uh, uh, two months, stopped eating as much chocolate and and started playing a little bit more uh, Every, I, every- I was... I, I was heavier than you are now, slightly. And, and people can see, if you go back through my videos, look at my videos from about three months ago, and you really see that I've got this sort of chubby face. Yeah. Just before COVID, I got into the best shape of my life, and that was just two and a half years ago. And then... <sighs> it's hard fam- to keep it up because it's boring. It is boring. We got a family. We got a big family vacation scheduled uh, in a few months. And so I'm, I'm at like 
T-minus 103 days to get down to my target weight. And it's just, mm. it's so difficult. It's so Man, difficult. Just, just like one less thing a day that you eat and then that's it. Yeah. Every night I rededicate myself uh, to my diet and then uh, every morning I uh, fall off the wagon. So, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll get there. All right, everyone. We'll stop rambling on about um, diets and everything. Thank you for joining us. And as soon as we figure out what our next chat will be about, um, we'll schedule it. Oh, yeah. Thank you to my good friend, Aaron Smith-Levin. Please go follow him. Growing up in Scientology, it's his YouTube channel. That's where you'll find him. And I'm going to be talking to him very soon about his life in Scientology, as well as looking into things like wrongful conviction, the Great Reset, atheism, and mad, mad things coming up. And that's all I've got to say to you. Just have a great start to the new year, and I'll see you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.